0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we put the world of motoring and transport under the microscope. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including the Australian Automobile Association will put top-selling cars to real-world admission tests. We road test the mini convertible and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith we take a light-hearted look at stories including the most complained about toilets on Melbourne's tram network get a welcome revamp. Have a question or comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au or you can listen to longer versions of the interview, road test and quirky news by going to drivenmedia.com.au or podcasting the whole program from iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now to start the program, let's have the news. The Australian Automobile Association is putting top-selling vehicles to real-world on-road emission tests in the wake of a spate of allegations that the Volkswagen Group and other vehicle manufacturers have cheated on testing or otherwise misreported the performance of their vehicles. They are investing $500,000 to conduct the on-road emission testing pilot of around 30 vehicles on the Australian market. The AAA emissions testing pilot of the first 10 vehicles is due to conclude by the end of August. Test results for these vehicles will be available later in 2016. The AAA also plans to test a sample of affected Volkswagen Group diesel vehicles before and after remediation by the company.
1: Mercedes-Benz is clearly a manufacturer with plenty of good news. In a move which has surprised many in the industry, Mercedes-Benz has done a show-and-tell, revealing to customers and competitors alike its full schedule of planned new releases for the next 18 months. The most interesting news for local Mercedes-Benz fans is the confirmation of a premium double-cab 1-tonne ute to compete in the premium ute market against vehicles such as the Volkswagen Amarok, potentially to be known as the GLT-class The ute is expected to arrive at the beginning of 2018. There is also an upgraded S-Class planned and as well a soft road themed E-Class estate. It will be known as the E-Class All-Terrain and is designed to compete against Audi's A6 All-Road estate. Elon Musk, the American
0: entrepreneur, is developing the concept of running public transport passenger-type vehicles in near-vacuumless tubes in order to achieve very high speeds without using a lot of energy. But what would the vehicles look like? An Australian team of student engineers called Vic Hyper is developing its high-speed travel pod design. Vic Hyper, the only team from the Southern Hemisphere to compete in an official Hyperloop pod design contest, is preparing for the next round of the international competition in the USA. The developers believe the travel pod system has the potential to make the trip from Melbourne to Sydney in 40 minutes. Vic Hyper was one of the 130 groups from 1,700 entries selected to present their
1: design. In the UK, it is estimated that public electric vehicle charging stations will outnumber petrol stations by the end of the decade, marking a potential tipping point in the adoption of zero-emission vehicles. Nissan predicts the number of public charging locations in Britain will nearly double from 4,100 to 7,900 by 2020. A report found that there are currently about 8,500 traditional fuel stations in the UK, representing a steady decline from over 37,000 recorded in 1970. Based on the rate of decline, Nissan estimates the number of petrol stations is likely to fall under 7,900 by the summer of 2020. In the UK, more than 75% of traditional petrol stations have closed in the last 40 years. A new shared mobility scheme has been launched in Berlin, featuring a
0: fleet of electrically powered and connected scooters that can be picked up and dropped off anywhere in the city centre. German technology company Bosch has launched this service under a new Coupe subsidiary. Customers can now find, reserve and use their nearest e-scooter at any time. Initially, 200 connected e-scooters will be available in the Berlin neighbourhoods. They have a maximum speed of 45 kilometres an hour, so anyone over 21 years of age and holding a car or motorcycle driving licence can use them. The storage compartment under the seat fits one helmet and two swappable batteries. In the
1: future, a second helmet will be provided. A bus designed to straddle traffic Has completed its first journey in China's Hebei province. The test run recently took place on a 300 meter long track in the city of Quinhangdao. The 2 meter high transit elevated bus, or TEB, better known as the straddling bus, moves above the roadway but has room underneath, allowing cars to slip through. Powered by electricity and running along rails, each elevated bus can carry up to 300 passengers, and up to 4 EBs can be linked together at a time. The transit elevated bus is expected to reach speeds of up to 60 kilometres an hour. And that has been the news.
0: It's Cheaper, got better dynamics, the display screens provide a plethora of images and information but it still carries some tradition from the 60s. I refer to the Mini and more particularly the Mini convertible. In 2000 the Rover group was broken up by BMW but BMW retained the Mini brand and the German mark has been making a considerable number of variations to that model since then. The new convertible starts at 37,900 plus on roads which is four thousand eight hundred dollars cheaper than the model it replaces. Brent Davidson went to the launch and I have been driving one for a week and we have Brent on the line. Brent, is this a traditional convertible? It's not just sort of hard top convertible, is it?
2: Oh. No, it's not. Well, let's let's go with David. Yes, it is a traditional convertible, and no, it isn't. <laughs> how's how's that? Um, yes, it's a rag top, but it's it, it has a, a, an electric um, operation, and when you do have it fully closed, you can open up the sunroof section. There you go. How how traditional is that?
0: The sunroof gives you a chance of getting a bit of sun without having the roof all the way back, which might mess up your hair. I found it uh, just a little bit noisy, but its confidence, like a lot of these now, is you can operate it at speeds up to 30 kilometres an hour. I think that's amazing, uh, betting on the potential and the strength of that thing. Although rear vision with the roof lowered, not uh,
2: particularly good. No, I mean, let's face it, the car has to have uh, some, some small drawbacks, but, um, well, here, here we go, here's a flipping comment, at least the external rear vision mirrors are quite sizable. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as for your comment on the, uh, the ability to open and close the roof at up to 30 kilometres an hour, that might not sound like a lot, but until you actually get caught with the weather we've got, you get caught in a little bit of a rain shower as you're, as you're taking off my traffic light as an example, you can actually hit the button and you're not blocking traffic. I mean, the, the 17 seconds it takes to, to do the, the, the maneuver to get the roof completely up or completely down is a lifetime to anybody who's sitting behind you at a traffic light. But if you're rolling along at 25 or 30 k's an hour, they won't be all that uh, upset with you. They'll notice that you're moving. So look, you know, there are advantages there to this, this small consideration.
0: And if you start putting it up at the traffic lights and the lights go green, you can still do it, move away, as you say, perhaps at a slow speed, but at least you're moving. It could be seen as being aimed at a very feminine market, but the split is going to be pretty equal.
2: Yeah, it is. And, and look, I think, uh, again, the fact that, that minnie has been a little bit careful about... Uh, the engine variants available. I mean, you can get, a, get one with 150-odd kilowatts, for God's sake. Now, the JCW version. So how can I say this politely? There are people in that community who will not want that level of power, and there are certain people in that community who will want that level of power. So it caters across a broad range. They've chosen their engines. They've chosen their transmissions. They've chosen even their options and extras quite carefully. It's nice to see
0: 57% female, 43% male has been the split so far, so it should continue. Now, when you cut the roof off, you can often make the car very floppy. I think handling and its chassis, has that been improved and is it strong?
2: Yeah, look, at, at the launch, we tried to find out how much extra weight uh, was in the car. Um, couldn't really get the figure, although we understand there's a little bit. Let's, so let's go with, I don't know, 50 kilos. But that amount of extra weight in the car has made the convertible feel like a regular hard-top car, which is an impressive feat these days, I have to say. I mean, normally when you cut the roof out, you cut out a huge section of strengthening. So they've managed to to, to do one while achieving the other, which is quite nice. But the other nice thing is, even though the car has that extra weight in it, it doesn't feel like it, like it is heavier. There, there is no cutback in performance. Overall, and and the handling I mean, the handling is still there, it is still the legendary mini, coring on rails, etc. etc.
0: And you took it out on a motorcarner. I've had uh, a couple of minis in motorcarners, they're lovely in doing that. I'm not sure if you did any handbrake turns, but on the motorcarner, it still felt good.
2: Oh, yeah, um, it, it's as sharp as a pin, and um. <laughs> A little, a little understeery still. They haven't quite got all of that out, but it, it's it's an amazingly predictable car. That's the really nice thing about it. You 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 know, in the motor we had four runs. You knew after the first run exactly what the car was going to do every time it it was poked into a corner at a, a speed, perhaps a little faster than it should have been. You knew what its reaction was going to be. You knew you knew how it was going to deal with each and every part of the track. And that, that's a nice thing. I mean, when you have a car that can be so predictable, it, it cuts back on the uh, on, on the, the, the task of driving to some degree.
0: Mm, gives you a lot of confidence too. The only thing I'd say about it was, I found the steering a bit heavy when I first got into it. I didn't settle into the car until I got used to it a little. Uh, uh, perhaps not light and fluffy, which is good, but perhaps a little too heavy
2: see there you go i'm I'm a guy that actually likes a little bit of weight in the steering, so I found it to be quite enjoyable uh, you know up to to, to my expectation you, you can't sort of twirl the wheel and the and the car will will, will spin around a, a corner. you have to actually put some effort into it, and to me that's how cars should be but yeah look at it it varies from person to person
0: mm, well you're saying I'm getting
2: very soft, but it's all right. I wasn't going to go there, David. I'm I'm a a diplomatic kind of guy these days. (laughs)
0: Uh, You said, of course, that uh, it has a couple of engines, two engines. Uh, One starts out, it's a three-cylinder for the Cooper version. I remember when the Cooper meant quite a performer. This basically is a base
2: model in the convertible.
0: Uh, but still, three cylinders is still competent.
2: Nobody will argue with 100 kilowatts and 220 newton metres of torque in a car the size of a Mini. It's that simple. I mean, three cylinders, yes, but 1.5 litres capacity, which is still a decent size, and a turbocharger bolted onto the thing.
0: Brett, lovely to talk to you. Thanks uh, wonderfully for your time. I always appreciate it.
2: David, it's always my pleasure.
0: Brett Davidson, a respected motoring journalist from the Newcastle area, as it turns out. And we've got his little exhibition coming up, the Hunter Valley Electric Vehicle Show, and we'll be going to that and enjoying it. And uh, here on Overdrive, you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. And again, we get to the end of the program and we talk with a couple of friends about some good stories uh, that aren't necessarily the traditional technical items. I refer, of course, to Quirky News and on the line I have Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, gentlemen, toilets and travel. The old toilet serving the main concourse area at Flinders Street station in Melbourne was the most complained about on the Melbourne's train network. And our Public Transport Victoria said that they're now upgrading those in response to passenger feedback as part of a $100 million Flinders Street upgrade. Now, look, there's a great link between toilets and accessibility and being able to get around. What was the first major liberation to ladies to be able to get out and walk through the streets and so on was the fact that there were public toilets it's much easier for men in many ways but uh, the ladies were given to do it so quality of toilets as we know toilets on a station have always been an important thing Brian public transport people seem to associate that was a place where they could go and relieve themselves
3: Indeed. Um, but of course, these days, increasingly um, public like stations and places like that are, are cutting down on the amount of public toilets they have because people use them for other purposes or you know, they, they cause a maintenance nightmare. Uh, so they're often locked or, um, or closed down. Some of the great public toilets that existed around Wynyard, the big underground ones, are no longer. So yeah, it can be hard to find them, but they are crucial got to say, though, when they were expanding these uh, toilets, um, I noted the story says that one passenger was using the toilets every six seconds during the peak. So, look, if they resolve whatever problem that passenger had, <laughs> they could uh, probably reduce the number of toilets they needed.
4: I did like um, the, the, the best line from the story was that this will be a big relief to passengers.
3: <laughs> boom, boom. Nothing like a pun, is there?
0: You know, a mate of mine, of course, did his master's degree on the t- design of toilets, the structure, not the actual toilet itself, but the structure on railway stations. And you can tell the age of a railway station totally on the design of the structure around the toilet. It's now become a little bit more generic, but uh, you remember it used to be a time where to, for the ladies to get to the toilet, they had to go through the waiting room. Oh, yeah. Now, he he had a thing that he reckons he was trying to get people to visit museums in railway. You know how they change old railway stations into museums or, mm. or even just keep them as a railway station but also do a bit of museum. His way he reckoned to do it, to promote and, and do that they were clean twice a day and mm. that would be just such a desirable thing to go to that it would encourage people to do that.
4: Well, if toilet. they're spending spending $100 million on it, so you think they'd be pretty pretty <laughs> bloody clean. Um, I was wondering how much credit do you need on your MyKey to use them?
3: <laughs> Spend a penny, I think uh, it is,
4: may that may, Maybe the first stop is free.
0: They're actually saying they're increasing the capacity. De- uh, uh, Brian, this is almost a traffic engineering.
3: Ah, uh, that's true. You'd certainly have to work out your demands and your level of service and uh, delays. Delays can be quite important. In toilets, so yeah, it'd be very important.
0: At a national conference one time, I at that time I was working in data collection, and I said our organization had done all sorts of surveys, people and traffic, and so on. In fact, we'd even done one toilet survey, although I did note it was just the capacity of uh, the throughput of uh... throughput, it wasn't a duration survey, I guess, <laughs> is what I was trying to say.
3: <laughs> occupancy.
0: But, but we could have done a duration survey, it's just that we would
4: have had to pay our surveyors a lot more money. Yeah,
3: that's right. And have <laughs> them just standing around in the toilet they're more likely to be arrested. Yes.
4: Errol. People going in and out of the, the, the loos just didn't notice the little rubber tubes across the, uh, the door. <laughs> um, and the, the, apparently the trains at the platform number two, they always took longer. <laughs> Errol, you have a story for us. Well, David, even if you've never owned a smartphone, you've probably heard of Pokemon Go, a game where people wander the streets trying to catch virtual creatures seen through the augmented reality lens of their phone's camera and screen. Unfortunately, some are choosing to wander those streets in their cars. Uh, This type of behavior has prompted VicRoads to put Don't Drive and Pokemon on its many electronic signs around Melbourne. And the party's really over for many Sydney siders, with three of the busiest sites for Pokemon Go players to visit being permanently closed due to traffic and safety fears in the roads area. A friend of mine uh, lives near there, and um, he said our residents have been water bombing the people playing this game in the street because they're just so pissed off with them.
0: Do you have an accident on Victoria Roads while you're reading the sign that said, don't? play pokemon and and would you see the sign if you're playing pokemon
3: you're playing pokemon that's right
0: i like the water bombing it's what's newton's third rule of motion third principle of motion to every action that uh, there's an equal and opposite reaction and i I think (laughs) this sort of pokemon craze is undoubtedly going to get people who are annoyed by it
3: well, I think if, if uh, you know, you could capture Pokemon on public transport, it would perhaps not be as big a problem.
4: Well, wouldn't it be a way to encourage them? I take your point, Brian. There should be one at each, you know, bus stop and, mm. and tram stop and train yeah. stop.
3: If we were more imaginative about it, but instead of at a park somewhere where people live.
4: It'd be a case that you could only
0: get it while you're on a bus or a train. And you, perhaps you could even take this further, Brian. We've talked about the idea of encouraging behavioural change get it so that you could only get it in the off peak
3: oh yes that's yeah, mm. good idea so you don't have everyone choking up the the trains
0: i think the fact that if you can drive around the car and i've got to say the 15 year old has encouraged me to do this of which i've resisted uh what is it that we need for a, a challenge those i mean we've always had these scavenger hunts lolly hunts easter eggs
4: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what this game could be summed up as, as a sort of a scavenger hut for people. Mm.
0: Maybe you need the Pokemon to be in real time, that if you're about to hit the pedestrian, it sort of says, hey, look up. (laughs) It warns you. Do you still get points if you put your phone in the car and send it around as an autonomous vehicle?
3: Ah, that's an ideal. Ah.
4: That's Mm. a great idea. Yeah, I don't think so. It's interactive. Ah
0: autonomous car can do everything it's a bit like when your your child gets a delivery service you know pamphlets or whatever the parents end up doing it uh, quite a lot i think uh, the only other thing i might say is can you sue pokemon if you have an accident
3: oh that's a good question
0: isn't it yeah, that'd change the world wouldn't it now gentlemen uh, predicting the future frederick Lindemann. he was an advisor to winston churchill and at the end of the war, the Second World War, the 1947, a few years after, Britain's rail networks were nationalised. And uh, by 1955, they thought they would need, in today's terms, about 31 billion pounds, 60 or more billion Australian dollars, to repair the network. And the reason why Churchill and others had let it run down was this guy, Frederick Lindemann, who, who said... Well, we won't need them because we will all be flying around in helicopters. Gentlemen, there's been a number of predictions to do with transport. A lot of them are wrong. Surely this must be one of the
4: big ones. Mm.
3: And, Berler, and, of course, the big issue here is that they make major investment decisions on that basis.
4: Mm. He was a physicist. They're making decisions on technology that didn't exist. Yes. Essentially.
3: Yeah, the future. <laughs>
0: In the future, everything about science will work it out, mate. There won't be a problem.
4: I think they, they he was actually aiming a, a bit too high, um, and just bring it down <laughs> a notch. You would—you of course had the you know the monorail, which is of course that's the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> monorail, monorail, monorail. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. They didn't predict that.
0: Our predictions of the future often aren't as adventurous as that. I mean, even the Gents Jetsons—they were flying. But they were all in corridors, they had polluting vehicles, they had human control. It was really like traffic just up in the air with no trees.
4: I think that's that's probably what they were sort of predicting at the time. And just well,
3: they, every, they always structured happening. around what they, I guess it's formed by their existing transport network, isn't it? Mm. So, you know, the, the future versions always look like you know the old version with some changes, a few changes, you know, like, yeah. a, like a, a big Cadillac but with a bubble roof. Mm. Uh, and no wheels, you know. So it is. It is a bit difficult, I guess, culturally we're shaped all our views of the future.
0: Most of the problems with projections are that we, as, as hubris, we think we know it all now. As I said, I think the other day I was at a conference or in a meeting where a guy stood up and said we should have a hundred-year projection. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it sort of v- somewhat vain to think that we know exactly what it's going to be like in the future. This guy, Mr Linderman, he thought that radar was a myth and he believed that the world should be led by supermen and, Superman and served
4: by helots. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, I, th- I think he was, he was doing a good job of selling snake oil to, to yeah, Churchill.
3: A, a, a class thing, I guess, was pretty strong in those days. Oh,
0: an- enormously strong. He was appointed... Professor of experimental philosophy, brackets physics at the University of Oxford,
4: and director of the uh, Claridon Laboratory. It was certainly experimental. (laughs) It's experimenting with reality. But he he was a man of
0: absolute beliefs. I read a quote from Nitschke the other day who said, certainty can be worse than lies, that you, you believe you've got no room for change. And I think this was a classic example.
4: Yes, apparently the emperor's new clothes look especially good on him while he's flying in his invisible (laughs) helicopter. (laughs)
0: Brian, a story of a more colourful approach.
3: Yes, yes, David, this is a lovely story about um, sort of updating uh, Mumbai's taxis and uh, a couple of um, designers had had, um, come up with the idea called Taxi Fabric and and they were interested in the the kind of industrial-grade fabrics that were... um, being used in in the taxis of Mumbai, the the classic black and yellow taxis that uh, are a bit of an iconic symbol of life in India, uh, and, and they, they sort of worked out that they could actually make more interesting interiors by themselves. So they were designers and illustrators, they digitally created some patterns and started making graphics and prints. It took a couple of years, but they've started fitting out some of the taxis with these very bright and colourful interiors featuring pardon me, images of by uh, up-and-coming in Indian designers and artists and effectively the, the taxi drivers also have a bit of a say in uh, what they'd like inside so there's quite a few of them now and they're having uh, quite a big impact so from about last year they started introducing them initially the drivers kind of thought it was a bit of a free makeover but they've, they've uh, found it's much more engaging for the passengers and so um, kids are sort of refusing to get out of taxis and and people are saying that this will be their most memorable ride and they're taking photographs with the drivers. So each of the designs for the taxis um, is a collaboration between the, the designers and, and the drivers and they're all slightly different. So there's flowers, there's sort of industrial technology and, and they're even moving on to rickshaws now and they'll uh, soon expand into Delhi and Bangalore. So it's a lovely idea, I think, to, to make taxis more interesting and, um, and uh, sort of individualistic.
0: One of them it looks almost a bit like the Indian version of the Sistine Chapel in a way. It's got
4: you know, yes yeah, the roof of the taxis all, all painted with this uh, yeah, wondrous imagery.
0: I hope they can get it to work with durable materials, particularly as we move towards shared cars, uh, whether you, you know we might have to go back to seats that are like shower curtain material, but you know to do it colourfully and and, and well, Because there's nothing worse than a faded mural, isn't there? All right, gentlemen, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. That's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring particularly, but also projecting into the future as well. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of the features, road tests and quirky news on our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.